Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A. I am joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Kristen Williams, DPT and Lit Teacher Extraordinaire. Hey, KB. Hey, Laura. So glad to be here. Always so fun. This is like one of our favorite things to do. At least it It would be fun to do it in person. But here we go, you guys. We have a lot of questions. So we're going to launch right in. First question is from Caroline dot hugs. Can you actually fix Trendelenburg? Is this forever? So maybe you can first tell all the listeners because I doubt, I doubt you guys have heard of Trendelenburg. If you have, wow, way to go. But most people are not going to know what that is. Yeah. So Trendelenburg is a specific type of gait pattern where you've probably seen someone with it and you didn't know that's what it was. And so what happens is there's a failure of the lateral hip musculature most specifically, usually the gluteus medius, to hold the pelvis steady. So when someone takes a step, and then as soon as they lift their other foot off the ground to take the next step, the pelvis juts out to the side as that, as soon as they unweight the unaffected leg, that side of the pelvis drops, and it causes this definitely very particular shift, a gait pattern where it's, you see it, the entire body tilts towards the side of the leg that just lifted. It's actually a weakness of the opposite side. So people might think just because they lean to the left, the problem's on the left, but it's actually a failure of the musculature on the right side of the hip to hold the pelvis up. So you can imagine it's these muscles that are attached to the the femur and the pelvis. They need to contract to hold that side of the pelvis up while you're weight-bearing on that one leg. So she's asking, can you improve this or change this? And my answer from my experience is it depends upon what's causing it. If there is a lesion of some sort of the nerves, whether it is centrally, let's say at the spinal cord or even up in the brain or peripherally to the muscle or the, excuse me, the nerve that innervates those lateral hip muscles. If there's a lesion to that, no. Uh, you, you you will not be able to get that strength back. Now, we're really good at adapting and we can improve upon it, I think, by recruiting other muscles that are maybe innervated by different nerves that aren't affected or compensatory strategies that make it look better. But if it's caused by a lesion to a nerve structure, that is 
not going to allow the muscle to work. It will atrophy. You'll see it. It will be sunken in. It's very distinct. But there are other causes for that. Just sometimes people, it's not necessarily a lesion. It, it can be a habit or based on an injury in a completely different area of the body. But it's traditionally, we tend to see it when someone is having, I see it, more of a neurological component. What about you in, in your history working with this, Laura? Yeah, so if you're still having a hard time visualizing, I always think of like a extreme sassy hips that just are out of control, like almost like kind of dr- like that real sassy, like outside to side, but it's not in a like runway. It's out of kind of because of that lack of control. It's very common with stroke patients, hemiplegic patients that I worked with. And, you know, to your point, it's challenging. I wouldn't say it's impossible with a some kind of impairment in the brain, in the central cortex. It's very challenging because by the time I would work with someone, unless it was very early on, there had been, you know, a lot of compensatory patterns. And it's not just gluteus medius. It's the combination of the stabilizers, knowing when to fire, how to hold, Mm -hmm. the pelvis staying neutral so that there's also not like a, you know, huge tilt forward. It's a lot. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's challenging with hemiplegia. You can't take a kind of traditional approach. It has to be loaded over and over again with somebody's hands on. So when I was working with stroke patients, my hand would be on that lateral hip, the other on the trunk in front. And I would I would do the job of the glute medius essentially to stabilize the femur when they were walking, when they would climb ladder. I mean, we did ladder climbing, all kinds of really cool stuff. That's hard to find that kind of PT that will give that type of, it just, you know, in the clinic, it's really hard to find because that costs money to do so so much one-on-one. So I would say that there are things you can, it's called force use. You make it work, but you've got to have somebody there helping to recruit it. So it's a great, interesting question. I haven't really seen it with adults. I've seen it with children who might've had some low tone, but, um, and that's, those are fixable. Again, if you get, you just have to have intervention, bottom line. If something is is a true Trendelenburg, I mostly have seen that just with some kind of neurological insult of some kind. So get intervention. But if you feel like you just have like overly sassy hips, they just don't want to hang. Yeah, then you can, you can work on that. You just have to be vigilant, vigilant, vigilant. I just had a private with someone and we were talking about, she was doing a lot of drills for some weakness in one area. And I said, drills are good, but you have to incorporate them into function because she wasn't finding that she was getting that much stronger. And she was kind of like, you know, getting exhausted by doing all these drills. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to enter, like, it's not just good enough to get a trainer or whoever to give you a bunch of drills to strengthen it. How are you using that in function? You know, you, you have to implement it, not just when you're loading the leg, by the way. There's other places where that gluteus medius would have to be working when you're not just one it's working when you're in the side bridge or, or in quadruped, you know? So there are places where it's working where it isn't necessarily loaded in the same way. So it's like, you have to put it into function. Woo! Okay, that was a good long answer. Kai K, namaste. How to effectively stretch the piriformis for sciatica relief? We've, we've talked about elements of both of this, but not specific to sciatica, I don't think. 
Well, what's interesting about the piriformis is it's one of those muscles, and there's a lot of these actually in the hip, that depending upon the position of the hip, its function can totally change. And that's the kind of beauty of this, this our body and how it's, a, I mean, I, I find it's fascinating. Totally. So piriformis, let's talk it specifically. From zero degrees of hip flexion to 90 degrees of hip flexion, it is an internal rotator. So that means it rolls the femur inwardly. But as soon, no, external rotator, external rotator, excuse me, yes, from zero to 90. As soon as that knee comes above 90 degrees, it becomes an internal rotator. So for example, when I wanted to strengthen or retrain or re, like get that piriformis firing, I would have someone have one knee on a stool and then standing with the other foot and then put a strap around their foot and then they would externally rotate that hip really quick against a resistance. And that would, my main goal was to get the blood flow into it, get it working again, so then I could stretch it afterwards. That was kind of our whole thing. You retrain and stretch, you retrain and stretch. So it's a great way to get that brain mapping going. And then to Laura's point, it has to go to function once you get out of that. That open chain is like where you start, but you have got to progress to function. So your question, when you stretch it, what's the best way for sciatica? It depends on, I think, what you can do with your symptoms. Now, a lot of times, luckily, with sciatica, you're able to bring the knee into the chest with the knee bent because you've taken tension off the sciatic nerve because the knee is bent. And that's the way we stretch it. So there's two main ways, we three really. So the supine figure four with the foot crossed on. So you have, let's say you're on your back, the knees are bent and you cross one ankle on the other as if like you were tying your shoe or something. Uh, you can press that thigh open, which is one way to get sort of a stretch there. You can get a little deeper stretch by grabbing behind the thigh of the, of the leg that's being crossed upon. And because what you're doing there is you're externally rotating the hip, but bringing it above 90 degrees. That's the key. Because it's really, you can, like sometimes I'll lie on my belly and let my feet flop out to the side and there I'm stretching it because I'm in extension or neutral hip, really. So you can feel that definite love that stretch feeling. when you get that. Yeah. Love that stretch. Love. So good. It feels like it opens up your sacrum, like right where the piriformis so is, which is like peels right where it that, away. Yep. So yeah, what she's saying is attached. like, again, yeah. if you're on your stomach, you drop your knees in and your feet out, kind of like a kid would do. Um, yeah. And you try and keep your pelvis neutral and it will really give you a lovely stretch for the piriformis. It's because it's gravity assisted. You've yeah. got gravity pressing down. You're really relaxed. And so it's a great way to, I'll tell patients who are tight there to just lie on their belly. You know, you can put something underneath your belly if your uh, hips or your back it feels that tension and just put a, a strap and ankle weight and give it a little extra, like if they're really limited, or just watch TV, five minutes, mm -hmm. you know, read a book. Uh, anyway, so that's the, so you can do it that way to get it when it's below 90. You can bring it above 90 with the supine figure four. I do love pigeon um, for this population. But again, you have to be mindful of the spine. And, you know, sciatica is a very broad term for irritation of the sciatic nerve, and it depends on where you're irritated. So I say try any of those three and see which one you're able to do the most comfortably and get the best benefit from. That was a really long answer. Laura, do you have no, anything that was to a add great, to that? I, I would say the same thing. And yeah, sciatica is kind of this umbrella term, so it's hard to know. Obviously, you just want to do something that isn't triggering more symptoms in it. But you, as, yeah. as Kristen has mentioned before, 
like giving it a little tug and having some nerve it, feeling is not necessarily bad. It's just going into that that barrier, meeting the barrier where it still is like, you know, a good kind of nerve pain versus a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the red light, yellow light, green light. Don't there go to red. Go. Stick, oh, in, the, stick in the yellow light zone. Yeah. All right. This is a fun one. Joga Bezgranek. I really ruined that, but I know oh. this sounds like... A, anyway, sounds we like a fun her. person. Yeah. Oh, we do. Yeah, she, she's a, she, yeah, she's in our cohort three. Oh. This is Anna. There we go. <laughs> yes. yeah. Thoughts about pole dancing. I mean, I'll answer this. I think doing anything that brings you joy, go for it. This is where, oh, yeah. again, I really, in terms of movement, obviously we are not movement police, but we are trying to optimize movement so that you can do whatever you want. That's kind of the point, is that we just want you to be able to have those choices, have that adaptability. Pole dancing is hard. I've tried it, by the way, P.S., just at a party. And man, and everybody's like, Laura, you're going to be so good at this. <laughs> I'm like, damn, the pressure is on now. And I was, it was humbling how hard it is. Yes, it's a lot of core, but it's a lot of pulling and things that we don't necessarily get as much of with resistance, gravity. Uh, so I think it's great. I think just like anything else, is it bringing you joy? And are you preparing your body for it? Well, because the preparation does matter so that you can actually enjoy it. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, probably my comment would be, this is with yoga, this is with any type of dance. And I see this a lot. I love pole dancing. I love to watch the videos. I'm, I think these, these women are athletes. What I don't like is there is a lot of hypermobility in it. There's a lot of hyper-stretching that I look at them and I'm like, oh shit, you know, they're, they're going to give them 10 years down the road. The and hips. Probably, oh, the yeah, hips. Yeah, when you, when you put like one, I saw it the other day actually, it made me cringe. When you put one leg on the pole and slide up or you slide down, so it's like you're going into not just a split, but like an oversplit. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Mm. Or they will be, yeah. And then they'll let the leg come away. So and then, yeah. So I see a lot of that that I watch makes me literally, I literally cringe. But to your point, Laura, I've never done it, um, but my God, they're athletes. And I think it's beautiful. It's such, it's a beautiful expression of dance and strength and femininity and sexuality and power. Like hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, I know. Uh, hell yeah, but <laughs> there's then the physical therapist lit. Oh, I let you know, yeah. me, I was like, oh shit. So I think that just with anything else, there's gotta be a balance. And some people are built to do it better than others. It really does require a lot of hamstring length yeah. to do a lot of the pretty, but again, so does yoga. So you can yeah. do your own modified version of pole and kick ass. Yeah, yeah. I think it's always like balance the strength and the length so that you feel like the joints are protected and they're not, you're not sinking into joints. All right. Uh, Dara Quinlan Yoga. What stretches exercises do you recommend for C6, C7 compression? <gasps> compression can be a wonderful term. And it can be a really not good term, especially when we're involved in, involving uh, parts of the vertebra <laughs> against each other. Yeah. So I think when you have compression, often not only do you have pain, but there's going to be some kind of spinal nerve where the spinal nerve roots exit the foramen laterally. There's probably going to be some kind of compression on that. So people feel stuff down their arm, which is not fun. Do you, being the spinal expert, what would you recommend for C6, C7 compression? So 
I worked with this a ton and a lot of it comes down to posture people. I mean, it really does. So you need most of the time, these people, they are having compression there for a reason. Now, sometimes it's job related, but some, a lot of times it's posture. It's just, there's a lot of weight hanging off of that. C6, C7 is right where the cervical spine goes in the thoracic spine. You know, it's that it's, we, we beat up our transitional areas. So something fails there because of prolonged demand that it's not built to sustain. So the first thing I always do is work on that thoracic extension. We need to restore mobility there. We need to restore our triple S. So I give all of these people will get thoracic extension. They will get some sort of chin tucking. Again, think about the weight of that bowling ball hanging off of a small little vertebra down there. We want to bring the bowling ball over top of it. Just like you would stack a golf ball on a tee, it's a tiny little stick, but it has to sit right on top or it will roll over. So it's it's just not, that's the same thing with the head. So get the head over. And then usually we're doing some sort of nerve gliding, sliding with a side glide. There's, There's a lot of studies that have been done with certain moves that tend to work really well with these. So we'll mobilize the thoracic spine, mobilize very specific areas of the cervical spine with the nerve, and then some sort of traction works really well. It can be manual traction when someone's gently or not, but you know, but basically pulling the head away from creating space. It can be mechanical traction with either a pneumatic device, an over-the-door device, a fancy mechanical device. Those three things we see really good results. And then coupled, obviously, with the retraining. You know, we need, we can't just do that in the clinic and expect someone to go off and live their life doing their shitty posture, repetitive, crappy movement patterns. They will re-injure. But if we can really build up that core strength, the scapular strength, the neck, the deep cervical flexor strength, we're just taking pressure off of a compressed area. And that compressed area is like, hallelujah, that's so happy. So that's what I've worked and done a lot of work with. And people have great results. We look at the ribs too. Sometimes that first rib gets involved. We might have to mobilize that. A lot of success with C6, C7. So go to a physical therapist. You know, get a, get, go get a manual physical therapist to work with you, someone who really specializes in the spine and you can get a lot of help. Totally agree. And, and if you're in a position where it's not like really bad or you're just starting to notice where you've had it and it's starting to come back a little bit, you know, some of this stuff you can do at home, like we do, like put a block under your skull, put a block under your, between your scapula and just try and open up that space in there. Open, like Kristen was saying, getting a little more thoracic extension while you're getting that neck pulled into more of a neutral position. It is so much about posture because that forward head flexes you. It really hinges you right at that particular area, C6, C7. And then you're, you know, jutting the chin out to bring the eyes up to the horizon. So you're getting hyper, a little hyperextension in the upper cervicals and that flexion in the lower. And it really, you know, at, at some point your body responds by telling you to please do something about it. So work <laughs> yeah. on your posture and get help when needed. Well, these were great questions. We got one more here. This is by Una2288. This is a fun one. How does left-right-handedness affect posture and symmetry in yoga? Well, what I'll say is, you know, w- whatever we do is a habit. 
you know, th- th- whatever we continue to do in an automatic way becomes a habit. So the way we move becomes a habit. What hand we decided to use for, as our dominant hand was often, I, who knows if it was pre-wired, you know, obviously there's a lot more right-handed people than left-handed people, but who knows if we like set up our babies to reach for the right hand because, you know, we don't know, but there's a lot of, lot more people that are right-hand dominant and the world is set up for right-hand dominant people. That does have an impact on your brain mapping for sure, because that side of the brain corresponds to the left hemisphere of the left hemisphere of your brain. It corresponds to the right side of the body. So there's going to be always a little imbalance of what side is more ready. Let's say stronger is one way of looking at it, but it's more ready. The wiring is like really tight, circuits are fast, you know. So the way that Yoga has, I think, in general, any type of yoga. I'll, I'll put, I'll give it all other types of yoga some credit here. I think yoga in general really balances our body between getting on our hands, doing left, doing right, doing side bending, doing twisting, and we we do one and then we do the other. What we have done in lit is we purposely started with the left side, knowing that again, this was what we I would do. I learned this in physical therapy is like, if you want to retrain something, you're going to put the weaker, kind of less less strongly wired side on demand. And so by putting it first, even though we're trying to find an equality between the two, we're giving it attention first. We're bringing awareness to that side of the brain first. And then I think over, and I know over time that has definitely changed my dominance. I was very right hand sided, right leg sided, everything. And now I would say, I don't notice as much like what side is down, what side is up. You know, it's really interesting. There's, I think if anything, my right side, because it was dominant, has some different issues that I have to attend to, but my left side is pretty darn strong and strong, but also strongly wired. So I think that it doesn't really matter what hand you use in daily life as long as you mix it up enough to challenge yourself. So off the mat, I, I try and use my left hand to do, I always say, to do almost everything except wipe my butt and cut vegetables. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are two areas I don't, I want some like more finesse. But you know, it's just, by the way, I have a bidet, so I really don't have to wipe my butt. But Um, but you know, like I really try and use my left hand for other things, brushing my teeth, doing little chores. So I would say not just in yoga, but in your life, how can you bring more balance? Because what you'll find is your brain, your cortex is loving that variety and that demand. Again, the brain loves novelty. That's why jigs, you know, all these things like novel. So if you're just doing the same thing over and over without attention, it's like you're having a little bit of a snooze in your body, in your brain body mapping. So just just put some challenge to it. Any any follow-up with that, Kristen? Not really. I think that was definitely... I remember when, before we went virtual, we were teaching in studio, I got so good with my left side because a lot of times I would find, because we started left, I would demonstrate on the left, not everything, but do a lot more with that left side. And then my right, I just... Which is great for me because I am so right hand, right leg dominant. And I actually, I started talking to your point about habits. I actually got better control with my left handstand, left leg down, standing split handstand hop, because I was not in bad 
habit with that. That side actually listened to what I was trying to tell it to do. And all of a sudden, I was catching air on that side. And I was blown away by that because it's my weaker side, but I didn't have all the bad habits yeah. that on my right side. So, But I love that. It's my favorite thing about yoga is we do everything on two sides. I remember I right before we moved, I taught a yoga class to my other physical therapist during one of our staff meetings. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do a quick 45-minute lit yoga class. First of all, they were gobsmacked by how hard it was. Number two, they were like, holy shit, I'm so asymmetrical because these weren't yogis. These were people who were CrossFitters or do, you know, even rock climbers, karate, they, but they weren't forced to use that weaker side. And they were, it was eye-opening. So that's my favorite thing about yoga is it, it really forces you to assess every single day what's you know left to right. And you do. I have to really force my left side to be like, come on, buddy, let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still doing some poses like funky dolphin. I still yeah. am like, yep. come on, make sure you're... But, and that's, again, that's that like, it's getting that stronger connection. And that's what we're going after because that means we're more adaptable. That means when we fall and trip over our left side... We're going to have as quick as a response as we would on our right. I mean, it it's not just about like making sure you don't get injured, but it is important. It, adaptability allows you to optimize your performance, but also keeps you safe. Quite frankly, it keeps you safer. So yep. don't cut with your non-dominant hand, but other than that, try and use it <laughs> and stuff. So thanks for all these great questions. Thank you, KB, as always. Love talking with you. Thank Ms. you, everybody. Pants. All right, everybody, as always, we're pulling for you. 